Euronet Plus Panorama is a weekly review of European news broadcast by our network of EU radio stations. Hi, I'm Jo and welcome to Euronet Plus Panorama. As refugees continue to pour out of Ukraine, member states are doing their utmost to meet their basic needs, including educating their children. And in other news, with various elections taking place across Europe this month, several member stations consider if the political tide is turning. More than 5 million refugees have now fled war-torn Ukraine since the Russian invasion. 2.2 million Ukrainians who have arrived in the EU in the last two months have applied for rights under the so-called Temporary Protection Directive. However, the platform for registering refugees and pooling member states' reception data that was announced by Interior Ministers on the 28th of March will not be ready before the end of May. Women and children account for 90% of those who have fled their homes, which poses considerable challenges to education systems in host countries. Of the more than 31,000 war refugees in Estonia, around 6,000 are school-aged children, says Cuckoo Radio. About half of these children have already joined the Estonian school system, but language barriers are certainly complicating their integration. Estonian Minister of Education and Research, Lina Kersner, outlines the measures being put in place to support the education of Ukrainian children. We look at the educational path of war refugees in two stages. This is a period of soft transition, Children are involved in school activities, especially those that do not require a good knowledge of the national language. For example, physical education, music, arts. The goal is to provide students with enough language skills in the spring and summer that they are better prepared to start taking classes with Estonians from the arts in. Not at the same level as locals, but better prepared. With Bulgaria traditionally suffering from a shortage of kindergarten places, and children accounting for one in three of the country's Ukrainian refugees, the idea of opening the door to temporarily unregulated parent cooperatives is the subject of intense debate in Sofia. Krasimira Velichkova, an advisor to one of Bulgaria's deputy prime ministers, explains the thinking to Bulgarian National Radio. There are a lot of people, women, who in Ukraine were teachers of children, young children. So the rules for establishing children's centers and for recognizing parent cooperatives must be changed without delay. The subject of parent cooperatives did not emerge in the last two months. It did not just come up since the war started. For this reason, we hope that very soon, literally this week, we will have clarity on how the state can support the creation of alternative spaces where these children can actually be taken in and cared for. As the member state most heavily impacted by the influx of Ukrainian refugees, Poland feels that Brussels could be bearing more of the financial burden a sense that is only heightened by the European Commission's blocking of the country's recovery funds over rule-of-law concerns. Warsaw is demanding that the Brussels executive establish a new separate financial mechanism to support refugees, says Polski Radio, and not just shift funds within the current budget. But government spokesperson Peter Muller 
acknowledged that EU procedures for creating a new fund mean that this process will not happen overnight. Unfortunately, these mechanisms in Brussels are slow, although I hope that no one who takes this situation seriously will block such an initiative in the long term. But still, we do not expect any decisions to be taken this month. A good time to take such decisions, for example, in the form of European Council conclusions, would be at the end of May, when the leaders of all the EU member states will meet. They can then directly approve such a decision and quickly finalize it in the form of appropriate documents drawn up within this body. Our colleagues at Italy's Radio 24 recently travelled to the Polish-Ukrainian border to provide a first-hand account of the situation on the front line of reception. But in addition to the 5 million-plus refugees to have left Ukraine, the UN estimates that some 7.7 million people are displaced within the country itself. Poland's Prime Minister was in Lviv on Tuesday the 19th of April, visiting the first of several Polish-backed container towns for internally displaced Ukrainians. EU leaders seem to have been taking it in turns to visit Ukraine in a show of support for the besieged nation. On Wednesday, European Council President Charles Michel became the latest to make the trip to Kiev, as RTV Slovenia reports. Michel assured President Zelensky that the EU would do everything in its power to support Ukraine, underlining the fact that the bloc was involved in the provision of lethal military equipment for the first time in history. Zelensky called on the EU to adopt a new package of sanctions, including an embargo on oil imports. Against the backdrop of the Ukraine conflict, this week sees the publication of the 2022 edition of Nations in Transit, an annual assessment of the state of democracy in the Central Europe to Central Asia region, produced by US-based independent watchdog Freedom House. Michael Smeltzer, a research analyst at Freedom House, told Bulgarian broadcaster BNR that there was evidence of a continuing decline in democratic norms and practices across this region. Indeed, for the first time this century, not a single country in the entire region falls within Nations in Transit's highest rating band. Asked specifically about the dual victories of Orban in Hungary and Vucic in Serbia on the 3rd of April, Smeltzer explained that these certainly give cause for concern. I think there's there's plenty to be concerned about with, with their victories. When you look at these April 3rd elections this year, while they were to an extent competitive... They were nevertheless not completely free or fair. You take a look at the the environments in which these elections were happening. For instance, in Hungary, the Fidesz party pressed the entire state apparatus, the independent media, the captured civic sector, into working against the opposition. The similar things happened in in Serbia with the election of Aleksandr Vucic. Given, Given the trends of these two countries, there's concern for these victories to kind of reignite these sort of illiberal and kleptocratic tendencies that we've seen in these parties and in these, these governments in recent years. And you mentioned France. Um, one, of the, one of the big things that we've noticed in democracies like France this year is that illiberalism, really the belief that um, any sort of dissent, any sort of criticism, any disagreement should not you know, is not uh, beneficial to the state. We obviously disagree with that. Liberal democracy requires the ability to dissent and, and argue and 
figure out together over our disagreements, but this push towards an illiberal kind of exclusionary government um, and policy is, is quite concerning throughout Europe and the entire world. Is the EU really heading down the path of autocratic regimes, or will France buck the trend? With Marine Le Pen going into the second round of the French presidential elections this coming Sunday, the 24th of April, this is the question on many European lips. The victory of the far-right candidate would pose a major threat to European security and transatlantic unity. Or so says Tara Varma, head of the Paris office of the European Council on Foreign Relations, a think tank specialising in foreign and security policy. In an interview with Latvia's radio, Varma added that Le Pen might even want to build a Paris-Budapest-Moscow alliance. She would look in a very transactional way at, like Trump, at what initiative she can participate in that would purely be in France's interest. Emmanuel Macron, you know, doesn't defend this kind of view at all. And I think it would be extremely, extremely dangerous, again, for European cohesion, European security, transatlantic unity, if she were to become president. So I think it, it would be, it would have uh, very severe consequences. Lithuania's former foreign minister, Linas Linkovicius, stresses that the situation is not as black and white as some choose to portray it. In his view, the French electorate is caught between a rock and a hard place. A Le Pen victory would be a huge misfortune for the European Union and a shame. That's the word I would use for France itself. And is often the case in this election and in elections in other countries, it is no longer a question of who is good, but who is less bad. Now we say that if this candidate is terrible, let's choose the one who is less bad. This is a strange principle, but in practice it happens, in politics and also in life, and maybe now is such a time. But in his interview with Jinu Radias, Linkavicius also stressed that Marine Le Pen would be unlikely to radically shift the course of French politics, even if she were to be elected. It is quite common for positions to change after an election. Before the election, they are sharp and dramatic to catch voters' attention. But then comes the responsibility, a certain commitment to continuity. How it plays out depends on each leader. If we look at the US, how Donald Trump came in with a lot of rhetoric. Even during his time in office, he spoke out against NATO. But it did not change the country's course because the country has put in too much work, too much good inertia and predictability. So even a leader like this, with a lot of power, is not capable of altering its course. Make sure you come back next week for another look around the Euronet Plus network.